What's happening team? Welcome to the Type 1 Movement Podcast where I'm going to be sharing with you my tips, tricks and stories to help you lead the healthiest life possible as a Type 1 diabetic. I'm your host, Type 1 Tom. Just a quick disclaimer, any advice that I give will not overpower your medical professional, so please consult with them first if you're thinking of making any changes. Yo, what's happening? Welcome back to another episode of the Type 1 Movement Podcast. The number one podcast, sorry Owen, sorry buddy, but I'm going to say it, the number one podcast and place to be if you're a Type 1 diabetic. Now, I've got a banging, banging episode lined up for you. I say that about a lot, but honestly, this is going to be a great one. Yeah, but before we get started, please leave me a rating and a review on the podcast app, as it really does help me reach more type 1 diabetics and positively impact our community. Also, screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at type 1 underscore Tom. Guys, I fucking buzz. I love it when... You guys sharing my podcast and that, and you reaching out to me and telling me that it's motivated you or it's helped you in some way. Like I love hearing that, so please keep that going. So, wow, this is like I normally do anywhere from two to three podcast episodes and lives a week because I'm I'm live currently at the time of recording this on my Instagram. Grab me on there at Tom underscore Tom on my Facebook Tom Allison. That's my personal Facebook and my YouTube channel. So go and subscribe to that as well. It's Tap One Tom. So. When I do these li- these lives and recordings, like normally I do anywhere from two to four a week, but this is the first one this week. So I've had such a fucking crazy, mad busy week. Um, I'm currently buying a house. If you've not got me on socials, you probably don't know that. Currently in the process of buying a house, and I'm currently looking around in house viewing, and it is incredible to do, but it's pretty tiring as well. Like I feel so so blessed to be in the position to be able to buy my house by myself. This is normally something that we say like couples do and things like that. Um, and I feel truly, truly blessed and privileged to be able to do it, but I fucking work hard. And then I suppose I am humble, but I've got to take a look at, hey, I'm making such a fucking huge impact. And I will say that, speak to any single one of my clients in the Tap One community. Why should I not be able to like treat myself and buy a house and stuff like that? Do you know what I mean? I fucking work very, very hard changing people's lives. So why not be able to have my... I, I don't want to say this because I fucking hate saying it, but I'm going to have to live my best life. Please shoot me now because I fucking hate that saying, but you know what I'm saying. So really privileged to be able to be doing that, but this week's been super busy, quite tiring. Also, something big that's happened this week, if you got me on socials, you know my mum had a major hip operation about eight weeks ago. She's not been able to walk for the past 18 months. Now she's up, you know, walking around on crutches, not in a wheelchair all the time. So yesterday, it's Friday at the time recording this, Thursday, we actually went out for our first meal as a family. And that's the first time in two fucking years because of COVID and stuff. And it just felt amazing. It felt so special to be able to take my parents out and they'll sit there and eat out. We're not at home, like, and just have a top crack. The food was pretty shit. I'm going to be honest. The food was shit, but it wasn't about that. It was about getting out with my parents treating them because it's my mum's birthday this week and it was amazing so I know mom and dad listen to these sometimes and watch these lives so guys I fucking love you thank you thank you for having me because without you guys I wouldn't be here pretty simple eh but right anyway that's what's going on with me first podcast episode I record on live this week which is a rarity for me and I was like I'm feeling really fucking tired but I was like no I need to I need to step out my own way show up for you guys 
And not only that, I wanted to deliver a fucking banging episode. So I was like, right, let Tom, get your fucking creative brain on. And let's give these fuckers three things, three valuable things that I wish every type 1 diabetic was told when they was diagnosed. Or even if you're late into diagnosis and you don't know these. That I think these are the three most crucial things out of anything, and probably quite simple some of them, that I think every type 1 should know, especially upon diagnosis and stuff. And it's not. Some specialists do say this. I've had my clients saying, yeah, they told me that, or they never told me that. So I thought, I'm going to put my mark in. I'm going to fucking tell you guys straight up what they are, yeah? Because these are super, super important to know to help you manage your glucose levels and live a long and healthy life, right? That's the fucking goal as a type 1. Stay alive for as long as possible. Live a long and healthy life. And I'm going to say it again, it's the second time, live your best life. Why the fuck are I keep saying that when I hate it so much? Tom, what is up with you? Give your head a wobble, mate. Right, anyway, let's go with the first thing out of the three things I wish every type 1 was told when diagnosed. The first thing, insulin doesn't work straight away. Man, this is fucking frustrating as hell. But when I was diagnosed like 13, 14 years ago, I was never told. I was like, eat food, inject. Carb count, that's something else we'll get on to soon. Carb count, eat food, inject then. Yeah. Or some people do it after they've eaten. And now looking back, I had to figure this out by myself, but now looking back, it's like, what? Guys, insulin does not work straight away. It probably starts working ever so slightly around the 20 minute mark if it's rapid acting insulin. It's doing most of its job around the two to three hour mark. And then normally after three hours, it's done. Yeah. But it's not working straight away. This is a big tip if you want to improve your time in target range, lower your average. It's not working straight away. And there's two subcategories under this. So remember, insulin doesn't work straight away. Even FIASP doesn't work straight away. That I think that is one of either, I think they might have bought our new insulin, I'm not quite sure, sorry about that, but I think that's one of the fastest insulins on the market. FIASP is basically like um, Nova Rapid, but with vitamin B something, I think. Um, but it's not rapid, yeah? That's still, you're looking at 10 to 15 minutes before it started to even do anything, yeah? So it's not rapid-acting insulin. It doesn't work straight away. Two subcategories under that. That's why we pre-bolus. For me personally, I'll take the morning example for myself. Hormones are high. I kind of get foot to floor so we can get a spike when I wake up. Like, even with my first meal, if I've been up a few hours, I need to pre-bolus anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes 50 minutes. That means I'm injecting for my breakfast and then I'm waiting 30 to 45 minutes before I eat because the insulin's just not working. It doesn't work straight away, yeah? In terms of pre-bolus timing, for you guys, you're going to have to try it out. Tip there, I always start at five minutes and then I moved it back. If you still got the spike but I'll come back down into range, like I'd move it back to 10 minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes. Yeah, a little one of what I throw in on there. If you pre-bolus, you get a spike and you don't come back down into range, your carb count's off. If you come back down into range after three hours, you've got your carb count right, but you need to move your pre-bolus time. Yeah, if you, you're going to get some sort of spike depending on the food, but if you spike a little bit, come back into range, like you stay in range, cool, you got your pre-bolus. But that's the first, first subcategory of that, Insulin doesn't work straight away. It doesn't work. So you guys are injecting when you're eating. There's times when you can get away with that, maybe after a workout when you're more sensitive or stuff like that. There's times when I can get away with that personally. 
But the majority of the time, you're looking at pre-bulletin. So you guys who are like getting spikes when you're eating and you're injecting there and then, or you're injecting part of the way through the meal or you're injecting after the meal, step out your own fucking way and I would say, try pre-bolusing, yeah? I do want to say though, I'm not a DSN or an endo, so this is my personal experience, but pre-bolusing is a big one. The second subcategory under insulin does not work straight away is for you guys on an insulin pump like myself. When looking at making basal adjustments on an insulin pump, Let's say, for example, it's midday, you're getting a spike, 12 p.m. or what have you, yeah, you're getting a spike, yeah? If you go and adjust the rate of your midday, it's not going to affect midday, it's going to go two hours in front. Why? Because insulin doesn't work straight a fucking way, yeah? So when I'm adjusting my basal rate, I'm always adjusting two hours prior, for argument's sake. If I'm getting a spike around midday, I know it's 10 a.m. that I need to adjust because insulin doesn't work straight away. It's doing most of its job around the two to three hour mark. Remember, we just said that. So for me, using an insulin pump, basal adjustments. This is why you need to understand insulin doesn't work straight away. Pre-bolusin falls into that category. Basal adjustments on an insulin pump falls into that category. Yeah? The second thing, the second thing I wish every type one diabetic was told when diagnosed is this. You need to count protein and fats, not just carbohydrates. You need to be counting your protein and fats, not just carbohydrates. Why? Why? Okay, let's take protein first. Let's take two options. Yeah, let's take, I want to try and give you as much information as possible. Let's say people are on a low carb diet and a higher sort of protein or moderate protein. When carbohydrates are low in, the, in a meal, yeah, so let's say 10 grams or under, and protein is, let's say, we're at 20, 30, 40 grams, 50 grams, something like that. These are just ballpark figures. When carbs are low in a meal and protein is moderate, your body will do a process called gluconeogenesis. And that means it turns protein into glucose. It turns protein into glucose. When carbs are low in a meal, the protein will be turned into glucose, meaning it needs insulin because then it turns into glucose just like a carb does, right? Meaning it will need insulin. So that's when you're having low carb meal, you're like, oh man, like I wanna keep my blood sugars like this, is it? I'm not advocating low carb, but if it works for you, cool. But let's just take that as a thingy, as a fucking example. Right, I'm having a low carb meal, but I'm gonna have some protein. Oh man, I got a spike. Well, you didn't bolus for the protein. That's why, yeah? When carbs are low in a meal, protein will be turned to glucose via a process called gluconeogenesis. Now, let's take we've got a normal amount of carbs. Let's take 30, 40 grams of carbs, 30, 30 grams of protein. We'll get on to fats later. Chances are when having a meal like that, you may not have to bolus for the protein because you've already got insulin there that you're covering the carbs with. The majority of the time, we'll get on another example in a minute. Stay with me here. Take notes if you need to. The majority of the time, if your protein is maybe around 30 grams, something like that, the bolus that you're putting in for the carbohydrates will cover the protein. Now, a flip side of that, if you're having 30, 40 grams of carbs and you've got 50, 60, 70 grams of protein in a meal, you've got a very high protein meal, it's probably going to start converting some of that to glucose. So then you're probably going to have to work out 
how much extra you're going to have to give for that extra amount of protein. I know it gets complicated. I'm not going to get into it in this. Yeah, this is something that I coach all my clients through. got training videos on. I'm going to put in there. If you do want my help with this sort of shit, drop me a DM saying BG and I'll have a chat with you, see if I can help you. But let's get back to this. When we're low-carb meal, um, we're having some protein, moderate protein, chances are probably going to have to bolus for the protein. When we're having a normal sort of carb meal, whatever that is, I hate saying normal, let's say 30 grams carbs, 30 grams of protein, chances are the bolus for the carbs are going to cover the protein. When we're having standard sort of carb meal, 30 grams or so, we're having a high-protein meal, we're looking at 40, 50, 60, 70 grams of protein. Some of that is probably going to be converted to glucose, and you're going to have to bolus for that. That's why you're getting a fucking spike if you're finding that, yeah? Now, one thing I want to add, the process of gluconeogenesis, of what protein turns to glucose in, I know it's getting scientific, but I told you I was going to give you a fucking banger of an episode. The process of protein being turned to glucose is much longer, is much longer than a carb being turned to glucose. That's why if you're on a pump, you might need to do an extended bolus. If you're on pens, you might need to split it. I'm not going to get too much into this. But now I'm going to move on to fats. Guys, you'll know if you ever smashed a high-fat meal like a pizza or something like that, right? Pizza. That shit seems to start creeping your blood glucose up after three, four, five, six, even eight hours. And that's because fat slows the digestion of carbohydrates down, meaning in your stomach, it clings to your stomach, your intestines and stuff like that. It's slowing. It's slowing the digestion of the carbohydrates down. So it's slowing the conversion from carbs into glucose, that fat's binding there, it's slowing it, it's slowing it down, so that's why if you use a pump, we look at an extended bolus, we look at taking our normal bolus, because high fat meal, and not giving it all up front, we look at extending it over two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever, a certain amount of hours, yeah, to catch that slow digestion process down. If we're on pens, we look at a split bolus. That means giving X amount up front and then the rest, two, three, four, five, whenever we split that bolus, we're not giving it all up front if it's a high fat meal, yeah? So that's the second thing. You need to count protein and fats, not just carbohydrates. For those reasons that I've just told you, very, very good reasons there. Very good reasons. The third thing, this is probably one of the, the, the key things I wish every type 1 was told when diagnosed. And that's the unpredictability of the condition. Now, guys, we can run basal tests. We can know our insulin to carb ratio, our correction factor. We can work out extended boluses and split boluses for high protein, high carb meals, all that sort of good shit. Yeah, we can do that. But still, this condition is unpredictable. A lot of factors go into it. Stress illness, activity levels, hydration, sleep, a lot of factors go into it. So we will always have a base we can work from, but, and this is a big but, I want to get this in there now, because a lot of type ones get frustrated on this. You will constantly be making tweaks. If you find a basal rate, so you find an amount of insulin, if you're on MDIs, you, you long-lasting insulin, you find a, a rate that works, or if you're on an insulin pump, you're running basal tests, you find a basal profile that works. That's not going to stay like that forever. You're going to have to make tweaks. If you find an insulin to carb ratio that works, that's not going to stay like that forever. You will have to make tweaks. And I wish every type one was told that because it's like, right, this is how much. 
Normally it's like, right, let's try this for you, your long-lasting insulin or your basal profile. Let's try this, get some data, make some tweaks. All right, it's keeping you stable now. Cool, go away. No, it might keep you stable for a few weeks, a few months, but you're going to have to make tweaks at some point. Same with insulin's carb ratio. You might find a rate that works for you in the morning, but it doesn't work in the afternoon or the evening. And you define your morning rate, your morning insulin's carb ratio, your, your lunch time insulin's carb ratio, your dinner, your evening insulin's carb ratio. That's cool for a few weeks or a few months and then something changes. You know, I'm getting more highs or I'm getting more lows. You're going to be constantly making tweaks. It's not set it and forget it. And that's why some type ones get so frustrated when they find rates that seem to work. And after a few weeks, they're like, oh, fucking hell. Like, why is this changing that? Because it's a human body. That's the way it is. It's just the way it is. It can be unpredictable, yeah? So you're going to be constantly making tweaks. The thing that I want to move on to that, the thing that I want to move on from that is acting in the moment. Acting in the moment as a type one. Guys, I have got, and I'll be honest with you, so much knowledge in my head about managing my diabetes. So I've just had my most recent HbA1c back. It's 5.3%. My dear Senate is like buzzing. She's like, oh, it's great, but it's always great. Look, you're not pre-diabetes. You're like a normal person. I was like, great. That's awesome. I love that. But I go more off timing target. My average is always between 5.5 and 6. And my timing target is always around 80% over a 7-day, 14-day period. Always around 80-90%. Now, I've done that from getting so much knowledge. And this is what I deliver to all my clients. But acting in the moment is a big part of being a type 1 diabetic. But you need to have the knowledge in it first. And this is something I teach to all my clients. You need to understand how to run tests and find ratios, insulin to carb ratios. You need to understand the impact, like I've just said, of protein and fats on blood glucose levels, of stress, of sleep. You need to know how to run tests, be patient, and build up your knowledge base. Build up your capital, yeah? Your knowledge capital as a type 1 diabetic. When you've done that for so many years, like I have, and even some of my clients now that say come into my program, most of my programs are 12 weeks long, let's say they get six, seven weeks in, and they've been that adherent to it, they've got all this knowledge, now they're able to act in the moment. And by this, I mean it's making a decision in the moment. Let me give you an example. When I go out on my bike, I know that it drops me. I know that it drops my blood glucose. So usually I stick a decrease, a temporary basal on. Temporary basal on. Let's say I've not put a temp basal on and I'm like, you know what? I've got a bit of free time. I fancy going out on the bike, but it's going to drop me and I've not got a temp basal on. So I've got too much basal insulin going through me. What the fuck can I do? I know. I'll have a few jelly babies. I'll give myself a spike and I'll let the bike drop me down. That's dead simple, but that's an explanation of being able to act in the moment and this only comes from planning and getting so much data. You need to put the time in to be able to act in the moment and make these decisions. Yeah? So I'm going to quickly recap because these are the three main things that I wish every type 1 diabetic was told when diagnosed. First one, insulin doesn't work straight away. That's why we've got pre-bolusing. That's why we've got when making basal adjustments on a pump. You're always doing it two hours before the time period that you're wanting it to impact. Second thing, you need to count protein and fats, not just carbs. We've been over that. I spent a lot of time on that. Go and listen to that again if you need to. Third thing is the unpredictability of the condition. 
Don't get so frustrated and disheartened with stuff. Understand that you might find certain ratios that work, but you're going to constantly be making tweaks. It's never set it and forget it. And also, having that skill of acting in the moment from so much knowledge and previous experiences is a key part of being a type 1 diabetic. But that only comes over time. It will only come over time. Yeah? Those are the three things, guys. That is it. I would say hopefully you got value from this, but I know you would have got value from this. Yeah? So I want to say, again, please leave me a rating and review on the podcast app as it really does help me reach more type 1 diabetics. And especially with this, I want to get these three things out because some, because 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 some DSNs and endos are mega at telling this. I work with clients like, yeah, my DSN or endo told me that, awesome. But some tell me like, and I was never even told that. I was never even told that insulin doesn't work straight away. I was just told to count carbs. So it's little things like this that make a huge difference. And I wish... Well, I know together we can spread stuff like this. And this is, like I said at the start, this is the end of Diabetes Awareness Week. And it's little things of being aware of like this that can really make the difference in our lives and our glucose control. So, guys, that is it. Thank you very much for lending me your ears and listening to this episode today. As always, until the next episode, peace. Peace.